You're listening to The Business Marketing Show, episode number 20, part one of two. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com or on iTunes. Welcome to The Business Marketing Show. I am Brendan from the Search Engine Shop. I'm here with my co-host, Ed K. Smith from Online Impact. How are you, Ed? I'm very good, Brendan. How about yourself, mate? And we have someone good. Someone extra super duper special today with us. Don't we do. Our, our second guest star on the show. Yes. Who's also related, <laughs> who's also related to the first guest star yes, special that's very person. Yes, That's a good point. And who is it? It's Elisa Reed from A Little Ray of Sunshine Business Consultants. Yay! Hello, Hi, Lisa. <laughs> Hi, guys. What a wonderful introduction. Yes. You guys cracked me up. <laughs> yeah, that's our job. There's no point We're doing working on the this. introduction. Yeah, it's the, a work in progress. Yeah, this is, a, this is only podcast number 20-odd, so we're still getting there. We've still got a lot. It's 21. 21. It could be 21. Yeah, it could be 21 soon. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Great to have you. Uh, we'll have a bit of a history Thank about... Thank you for having me. You're welcome. How we know you. and So I'll let Brendan go first because he's known you for, for much, much longer than I have. So, so Yes. So I've known Lisa since 2004, I think, maybe even 2003, when in another life, pretty much, when I was running my... IT business and online store, um, and I think at the time, Lisa, I was we had hired. So I had, I want to talk to you about this because I see this with um, other businesses I work with and friends as well. That, and this is something you taught me about. Um, when businesses get to a certain size and the business outgrows the business owners, they have this kind of knee-jerk reaction that they need to hire a general manager or a CEO to run the business. And we kind of we at the time, so our business grew from a million to six million in a year. And we thought we needed a CEO, but in reality, and that's one of the things you taught me, that the business had outgrown us and what we knew and our skills, and that was the wrong move. And through whatever twist of fate, we ended up coming across you and hired you as a business consultant, which was like the difference it made within three months to the business was like night and day. I remember that at the time. So, um, so you're a business consultant, right? That's how you explain what you do. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And honestly, that term, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, that term didn't exist when I started in business. Um, There was a choice when I started, I could be called a management consultant, which most people would associate with the bigger consultancies, or a tax accountant, and tax isn't my thing. I can do business tax, but it's not my thing. And I'd take my hat off to all tax accountants. (laughs) They're incredible, keeping up with all the changes. But yeah, so I chose to call myself a business consultant because I wanted to work with business people and really be an advisor to them. And, And so I've been using that term for 10 years. And Brendan, interestingly, now a whole heap of people on the websites or on the internet use that term. Which I know. I this is my first question because I remember at the time, I, and I know you have this frustration with marketing consultants and all sorts of other people calling themselves business consultants. And 
a lot of people have started calling me a business consultant and I'm like, and because of that, I'm, I'm very clear. I'm like, I'm not a business consultant. I'm probably the closest I could get is maybe a technology consultant, but <laughs> yeah, that's not it's, what I do. It's a bit like the architecture argument, you know, there's a lot of technology people that are calling themselves um, solution architects and the architects uh, really hate that because it's a term that really is designated for their profession. But yeah, you're right. So I guess from a, a business perspective, I like to think of business consultants as people that are pretty seasoned or well healed in all aspects of business. So not just marketing and sales. And, and when I first started in business, there were a lot of business coaches uh, who predominantly had fairly strong uh, marketing and sales skill sets, but really no commercial skill sets. So very limited knowledge in terms of financial procurement, internal control. Um, and I think now the market's developed to a point where, where it is more healthy. You know, there are providers that call themselves business consultants that have a broad business skill set. So that pleases me greatly. I'm still very dubious. <laughs> I definitely ask 21 questions whenever somebody comes into the market and calls themselves a business consultant. Well, that's a, that's a, good, uh, that's a very good question. So what does classify someone as a business consultant? What are those questions that you ask people? Because there may be people listening to this who think they're dealing with a business consultant, but technically they're not really a business consultant. So what sort of questions would you ask, Lisa? Yeah, very good question. Ed, you know, it's interesting. There's no um, defined uh, job role, I guess. So for me, I always look for somebody that is really well healed from a commercial perspective. I think that's the most important thing. If you're a business owner, you've put your life on the line and you're growing a business and, and other people are relying on you, you know, potentially your employees, suppliers, um, you need to make sure that commercially you sound so you've got a platform for growth. Yeah. And so when, when I talk about commercial, I'm always thinking, um, you know, from a whole business process point of view. So if, if you're marketing and you're selling, you want to make sure the way that you're selling is profitable. You want to make sure the way that you collect money means that you've actually got a, a healthy cash flow. So the financial aspect right through your end-to-end -end process should be fairly sound. And we even think about, you know, how we purchase supplies and how we engage suppliers. And, and that whole approach really needs to be quite strong. And for me, that's where I usually start. And a lot of businesses are growing without that um, discipline, I guess, because it's not something that you do learn unless you've been... Um, able to access a mentor who says to you right from day one, this is how you need to do it and it's black and white. And for me, it is black and white. Yeah. I think there's a lot of businesses that exist uh, based on pure luck, I think. Um, and you know, we've, had, <laughs> we've had recent conversations of different companies that exist that aren't using any sort of technology in terms of bookkeeping or you know, simple things like that and they're still using manual ledgers um, and that sort of information, if, they, if they're not told that, then they, they don't know. It's sort of what you don't know, what you don't know. So, so Yeah, it's pretty incredible. There, there are some amazing, amazing mathematicians who still do a lot of their calcs in their heads. So that's <laughs> definitely possible, but it's just a slow way these days. 
Yeah, and it's not leaving anything systematised so someone can step in and take over. If it's all in someone else's head or only one person knows how to do it in the company, then that's a bad, bad idea. Um, so what else would you ask? Well, you just led into the next point. I always look at who the key people are in the business and one of the big things that um, limits a business is key person reliance. So from a risk point of view, we always look at who has um, responsibility in terms of the daily, weekly work for the critical tasks in a business. And and we ask what would happen if that person decides to take long service leave or wins lotto and isn't around for three months, what happens to the business? And most businesses aren't protected. So, you know, that's one of the first places we start. We work out how we can actually mitigate that key person reliance. And more often than not, it's going to be the business owner. Yeah. And they haven't thought about that. They're conscious of it, but they really haven't thought about what their action plan is. And so that's a really big thing that we work on too. Cool. Wow. I like that. Key, key person reliance. Because, you know, uh, I have that in my mind a lot because I deal so much with technology. We have single source dependency and single system dependency, but yeah, that's a good reminder that it's not just technology and software and systems, but people too, right? Yeah, massively people. I, I my perspective is that business is pretty much people and performance. Mm-hmm. Like ninety percent of it's people, yeah. so it's augmented and supported by you know the toolkits that we put together, but it's pretty much people. So business owners have to be people, people, or um, almost psychologists. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that because I remember when we got to there was a tipping point when we got over when the IT company when we got over ten staff. You got to the point where you were like a counselor, and I I called it like running a daycare for adults, but it was <laughs> a bit harsh. But it was like you had to counsel these people. And when we got to 20 people, it was like someone was having a fight with someone else. Someone was upset at someone else. Then there was, there was always one person sick and one person on holidays. It really was like you were this counselor for all these people. And I was in my early 20s. It was like I was one of the youngest people. <laughs> yeah. And do you know what? That, that's what I love about what I do. I honestly love those conversations. I really enjoy them. And our consult room is set up with four deep leather chairs that you can sit in. You can't lie in them. I think if we actually had a couch you could lie on, we'd probably be in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, those those conversations I find are just the conversations that actually give me great joy. I had a, a fellow in, a new business owner, he left his employment two weeks ago. He's, he's basically starting a business and looking to acquire one. And I had him in on Wednesday for the first time. And it was such a great session. He was the most amazing guy. He is really well thought out in terms of his approach, but he just he needed a high level of sounding board. This guy's left a, a high level job, so he's um, he's a pretty switched on guy. He actually came to his appo- appointment in a beautiful, shiny, soft top black Porsche, and so. He's he's a he's a pretty switched on fellow, you know. That said to me that he he knows what he wants and he's pretty directed. Mm-hmm. And it was a real privilege to be, you know, his first sounding board as he starts in business. So I love those conversations. So obviously that one was a positive. There can definitely be tough conversations too, but I like those as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
conversations, Lisa. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, now, this is great that you're, you've got this change coming along and it started as of 1st of October. So, I know. It's so I know. exciting. It's very, very exciting. By the time people listen to this, that will have passed a little bit because uh, we've got a few episodes in the bag that were coming out before. Um, but I think in terms of what you used to do, and that's how I got to know you was through your previous business, uh, business balance. And we did a lot of uh, workshops together for small business and through um, the, who was it, through the Chamber up, of Commerce. Chamber of Commerce and... Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, and Oz <laughs> Industry, Federal Government, Oz Industry. It's lots of funded stuff. Yeah. And I actually... Uh, started talking to you completely by accident because I called a wrong number. Um, and so <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and it, that was the weirdest, wasn't it? The what, that sorry? was just the universe, I reckon. That was, that that was, was the universe, universe, yeah. And you just happened to be uh, going down the process of setting up these <laughs> workshops and I had been thinking about doing exactly the same thing. And anyway, it was one of those very weird and wacky things that happened uh, and I think <laughs> I think of all the ways that could not have happened, the very fine threads that connect us all. It's pretty freaky. But so <laughs> that's how I knew you through business balance. But that's so you've had a major uh, uh, mindset change of what you want to do. So what brought what came about in your thinking that you said I'm going to move from what I've been doing for the, the last ten years to doing something completely different? A pivot is what we were talking about before. So- so the yeah. new business, you haven't mentioned the new business name yet, Ed. So oh, haven't I mentioned? I thought you did, A Little Ray of Sunshine. We did at the start before Oh, the intro, okay. Right? Sorry, yeah. So it used to be called Business Balance and now it's called A Little Ray of Sunshine. Now, they are two very different names. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us the story about how you move from Business Balance. Uh, and I think if a lot of people heard Business Balance, they'd probably have, have some sort of a guess at maybe what you did. Um, a little ray of sunshine, though, that's a different thing. So you're going down a very different path and you're using very different methods. So what were your thought processes moving from business balance to a little ray of sunshine? <laughs> yeah, it's a big pivot. Well, I guess it, it helps to know the history. So when I first started in business, one of the motivators was to um, maintain a life-work balance, which wasn't really possible in the corporate world and and in the um, business that I left. Uh, while the experience was incredible growing up through a um, multinational com- company, the, the career path was quite mapped out and, and the hours were pretty major. So to be able to balance your life really didn't happen until you got to 60 and that was pretty much the projection. It didn't matter who you talked to. And so I opted out and really wanted to try and find a little space for myself. Um, And I fell into helping businesses. Honestly, I really didn't have a plan when I left the corporate world and through my tax accountant (laughs) fell into um, helping privately owned businesses. And when I registered my business name, I went back to a couple of the contacts that I had and picked up some management consulting work with um, corporates or publicly listed companies. So I did quite a few uh, process improvement projects for probably the first three years. And on the side, I worked with privately owned businesses. And my whole approach was teaching business owners about life 
in terms of how you balance life with the demands of a pretty taxing, you know, business role. And in their case, most of them pretty much lived their business so they didn't have too much life outside of work. So that was really how I came up with the name business balance. For me, it was about being in business but actually having a balance and having a life. Yeah, yeah. And... And that worked really well. You know, for the first probably five years, that flavour was definitely something that was palatable in the marketplace. It's probably been less so in the last three to four years, the more that technology has come to the forefront and in terms of how we operate. So, balance has become a word that definitely has negative connotations. Um, yeah. And and so it, there's been a lot of press, and that's definitely been in my consciousness. So I've been watching that. Um, I guess one of the other things that happened for us is our marketplace has completely changed. And you know, when your marketplace changes and your customer or, or your client facing or customer facing, you pretty much have to change with it. So what I found was that there was less of a requirement to talk about balancing life with business and pretty much most of the inquiries and most of the new business we get is really being um, that trusted advisor to business people. And that can be corporate managers, really senior corporate managers in publicly listed companies, or it can be, um, you know, the owners or directors of, of privately owned businesses. And most of the businesses that we would work with sort of, you know, range from typically about a mil to about 100 mil. Mm-hmm. And so, you probably call them in, in the business world, they're probably called small caps in, in private business. Yep. And so, a lot of what we've been doing in the last three years is really just being those trusted advisors. And so, the comments that consistently came through from the clients that we've been working with is, oh my gosh, you know, you, you, in terms of what we were doing for them, we were just a ray of sunshine and we just kept hearing that comment time and time again and so it sort of stuck Yeah, okay. and it's it's very different for a business consulting firm to be called that but I loved it um, and we've definitely you know it's probably more appealing to the female demographic than the male demographic and honestly I've probably got more male clients than I do female clients so in in their eyes it's very quirky yep. um, but I think We've been around long enough now that we're able to take a risk with it, and you know the more <laughs> the more more that we're out there, the more people will understand you know how it came about. And for me, it's actually a beautiful name because it it says something about our purpose, which is really to help illuminate paths for people. And yeah, so it's exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited that's great. about yeah. it. And it does, yeah. it does make perfect sense when you sort of explain the, the reasoning behind it. So well done. And um, thank you. Lots of exciting things coming. <laughs> so what, what yeah. else do we have on the questions for, uh, for Lisa? Well, okay, so let's, I, I mentioned this before. So this is kind of a perfect segue in. So one of the first things you taught me, Lisa, is that in in business, you outgrow everything eventually. Well, if the business is growing, hopefully you outgrow everything eventually or, you know, change is inevitable. So you had a really, I can't remember how you explained it. It was 10 years ago, but you had a really succinct way of approaching that. So let's talk about that for a minute, outgrowing things and being mindful of that. 
Yeah, okay. So I guess I always come from a position that a business is limited by its owner. And so I'm I'm really quite upfront about putting that on a table when I work initially with a, a business owner. And, you know, sometimes that's quite confronting because a lot of people put their heart and soul and energy into growing a business. The reality is when you look at it as an observer, more often than not, it's the owner that's limiting the business. And, and the limitation comes from having to be involved in, in daily, weekly things. So when we take a slice or a view of an organisation, we look at where the activity or where the majority of the activity is. And if most of the people in an organisation are at a level that we call tactical, so their focus is daily, weekly tasks, then that's usually good. Mm-hmm. Often you need to see people also working at the next level up, which is operational. And that's where the focus is more um, monthly, quarterly, and and often a a six-month or a 12-month period out. Mm -hmm. And and typically, that's where a business owner should sit, right? So as a business grows, you move from being in the tactical and you move up into the operational and the bigger you get so let's say that you move from being you know five person to ten person the more time you should spend in those upper levels and there's a level above operational which is called strategic and that's where you're constantly looking at what's happening in the market and you always form a view about what your business is doing or the direction it's taking for the next one to three years when businesses get caught in the growth um, part of a business life cycle, typically a business owner gets pulled down into the tactical. Yeah. So they're actually doing daily, weekly stuff. And that's one of the first things we work on is, is releasing a business owner from that, finding the perfect person to come in and replace them, to wear their shoes, to basically fit into a job role and be able to do whatever the business owner is doing equally well, hopefully better, mm-hmm. so, so that a business owner can be released and basically float up to that higher level of management. And so as a business grows, it, it's true that, a business or a, a business grows around a business owner basically and as long as a business owner can release from the daily weekly tasks and then the monthly quarterly and 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 still keep a hold on the reins but you've got to recruit the right people that can actually do the tasks better than you Mm-hmm. And that's the trick. A lot of people will roll in like a general manager like you talked about in your business who has ideas and aspirations but probably doesn't work the business the same way as you do. So whenever we look at replacing business owners and the tasks that they're doing, it has to be somebody that can do that as well or better. And and usually if you get that right, and it does, you know, take a while to get it right, it's often the most challenging thing finding the right people. But you, you can see business owners float up and it's just the most amazing thing to watch. And, you know, it can happen depending on where a business is in its life cycle. It can happen quite quickly. Usually we talk about change over a three-month period minimum. It might take longer. It might take 18 months. But it's just the coolest thing to watch. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, one of the things that you're, you're, we often hear is people say they have a business or that they run a business. 
but technically they're self-employed. They're not. They don't actually really have a business, and they couldn't walk away from it, as you say, for three months without affecting the business. So, um, yeah. do we, do you find that is pretty common with a lot of people? They actually think they have a business, they, but technically they really don't. They just they're self-employed. Yeah, look, I would call those businesses um, solo freelancers. Okay. So they're they're basically labour hire. Um, And so you live contract to contract. Mm -hmm. Um, From a business perspective, really for me, you're in business the day you employ your first person. Okay. Because then then you have responsibility and then the business is bigger than you. And and I that that point where you make that first decision to employ a person, for me, is the signal that you can actually release to. Yeah. So it, it's a different mindset being a soloist to to actually running a business that employs people. And that's you know no disrespect to freelancers because that's actually at the moment you know there's there's an amazing influx of freelancers mm. in the market. It's changed the whole space in the last 3 to 5 years, which is fantastic. I think it's great. More more resources available for privately owned businesses which we've never had access to before, so it's fantastic. But yeah, it it's really it's an interesting space and look I've you know for me I've definitely oscillated in and out of being solo and then you know growing a team to 12 and I've probably grown and shrunk five times now in 10 years (laughs) (laughs) and it's just finding the right balance you know often it's more profitable um, to run a business with five employees than it is when you get to 20 employees and so the choices that you make as a business owner depending on what your vision and your direction is. Mm. And that's one like for me whenever I felt the business was successful and on the numbers, you know, the numbers reflect that, business felt easy. Like if the, the business should feel easy, it shouldn't feel like you are spinning your wheels all day long, putting out fires. And I think some of the things you said there about being pulling out of the tactical and, and you know, some of those things about staff. And, you know, when we grew our business, I was so focused. I had the wrong focus for me. Um, we were so focused on being bigger and better and having more staff and, you know, we weren't focused on profitability. And I think yeah. particularly in that really small business space, five to ten staff, there's a, uh, you know, an error in, you know, what they're striving towards. They're looking at their top line revenue numbers and not really looking at the bottom line profit numbers that what they're putting in their pocket at the end of the day. Yep, spot on. And I think, you know, for freelancers, they're, they're in the professional services space and that's a bit different too to, you know, product or e-commerce, you know, retailers, which would be similar to where you were, Brendan, and the the dynamics are a little different. So, you know, if you're a freelancer, you're probably far more profitable as a one-man band than you will be if you suddenly have five people. So, you know, if if you're conscious of your numbers, then it's definitely... um, you know, different perspectives. Whereas if you're selling products, typically you'll never make enough margin if you're a one-man band selling products. You need the scale of people to actually generate more volume, more profit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so sorry, go ahead. Each business is a little different. But yeah. Yeah. It, depending on your industry. Yeah. Okay. That brings me to my next point or question because one of the things, and this was a mistake I made and I see so many business owners make this mistake is they ask, they def- whenever they're having problems in business, the, 
their default route to, or their default person to ask questions to is their tax accountant. And you explained to me that there's actually three different types of accountant and <laughs> there's, you've, probably your tax accountant in many cases might be the worst person to ask about business growth and some of those things about that. So I'll let you explain the three different, I don't know if it's changed now or the, you know, from 10 years ago, but let's talk about that. The three different types of accountant and they're completely different people, right? I am so impressed. You're such a good student. What a memory you have. Well, I remember, like, <laughs> I remember our first consult and literally like 10 minutes in, you had the whiteboard out and I love when you get the whiteboard out and it was like the first time I was 23 or 24 and it was the first time I realized that business is you know, it is part art, but it really is a, a set, it's a science and a set of best practices. And I could see straight away that you, like, you're a person who knew about the science, you knew about the best practices. And on top of that, I don't know if, if it's, you know, I don't know how to frame this without coming off badly, but, you know, a lot of guys in business, it's a lot about ego and bravo and, you know, I'm the best. And I don't know it's if, because you're not a man, but, you didn't have ego. There was no real ego attached to it. It was very, some of that, you know, ego that gets in the way was removed from it. And it was a real light bulb moment for me that, you know, changed the way that I do business. And, you know, I guess it yeah. changed my path. But, yeah, I guess, you know, that was one of the big things, like learning about those three different types of accountants and why that, you know, you might be getting the wrong advice if you ask your tax guy. Yeah, okay. Do you know what? I'm going to speak about ego first and then I'll come back to the sure. accountants. Ego is a big one for me and I've just had a conversation about this in the last couple of days. So, I, I, everybody needs a bit of ego. In business, it's not great to lead with ego and given that business is pretty much all about people, um, the majority of the population don't deal well when they're faced with ego. So for me, it's really important for business owners, the ego gets checked <laughs> and you can check it wherever you want in the day, but it shouldn't come to work. The only time it has to come out is if you're physically challenged and it's a survival um, situation where you need to actually use that ego to get yourself out of, out of a situation. In business generally, you know, 90% of the time, it's not needed. And and one of the biggest limitations in growing a business is ego. And, and we talk about checking it at the door all the time. So that's it's a very valid point. You're right. I'm, I'm not big on ego. Um, I do have an ego. And if I'm challenged, it'll come out. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I definitely don't lead with it. Um, from a... From a business perspective when we're talking about let's come back to to accounting um when i first came out the challenge i talked about was i had the choice of calling myself a management consultant or a tax accountant and and i can do tax and i'm i am a registered bass agent but i don't want to do tax returns and so i started explaining to business owners that there is a difference between uh, someone like me and basically tax accountants and a lot of tax accountants when I actually started consulting were quite challenged that I was in the business advisory space. So tax accountants have traditionally always called themselves tax accountants and business advisors. Mm -hmm. And so 
when I did a bit of research when I started, I found that most tax accountants had never owned businesses. Um, most of them had never managed budgets that were, you know, in the order of a couple of million. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd come from a job where, you know, I was looking after strategic plans for, you know, a business that was in the order of billions and not that I had full control, but I definitely was responsible for, you know, how some of that got spent. And so my context was very different to a lot of the people that were doing the accounts for business owners who I was working with. And so what I found was often the advice I was giving them from a commercial perspective to improve their profit was conflicted um, with advice they were getting from their tax accountants. And so what I started doing was explaining the differences I saw it. And so there are three types of accountants. There are tax accountants, bless them, who are incredible people. And and we use some amazing tax accountants for our clients uh, who know their stuff and I rely on them a lot. And they are fully versed with the tax legislation and they have a, a complete understanding of how that tax law applies to businesses and to business owners personally. So they specialise in doing business tax returns um, and also individual tax returns for the business owners. So it's, it's a very different space to a, an accounting space where you're responsible for preparing a profit and loss and a balance sheet and a cash flow forecast, which are the three key financial statements. And in big business, the person that prepares those three financial statements is called a financial accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, in small business, it's called a bookkeeper, <laughs> and it could be a business owner if they're doing the accounts in a, a handwritten ledger. Ed, <laughs> um, but so the financial yeah, accounts, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the financial accounts responsible for those three financial reports, which ultimately the tax accountant relies on to prepare the tax returns at the end of the year. Um, in small business, usually we have to do BAS returns, FBD returns, PAYG summaries, the financial accountant or bookkeeper or, or if it's the business owner doing the accounts, will often do those too. Um, and so we've got those two roles. And then the third role is someone like me. So my professional, my trade is management accounting. So I sit in a business and I look at how to improve end-to-end business processes basically to make more money. So that's always my outcome or my deliverable for a business owner. If if you're going to run a business, then at the end of the day, you need more money in your hand from running a business than you would have if you put it in a bank account and, and, and earned interest. Mm-hmm. So management accountants are rare in, in industry. You usually find them in big businesses, in roles, um, business analyst roles, business advisor roles. In private enterprise, it's rare to actually find a management management accountant in private practice. So that's me, and and so people like me have have quite sound commercial skills because we're used to the financial perspective, the procurement perspective, looking at internal controls, mm-hmm. and we're also look we're also used to looking at process improvement and how to improve businesses to make more money. So. 
from a, an accounting perspective, if you're running a business, really you would talk to somebody with management accounting skills to improve your business. You would talk to a financial accountant about preparing you three financial statements and you would talk to a tax accountant about your tax returns at the end of the year. And so I typically wouldn't suggest you would go to a tax accountant for business improvement advice, but you definitely would go to them for tax planning advice. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much exactly what you told me 10 years ago. So, that's <laughs> yeah, so, I think, so principles said, don't change, do they? Think of a tax accountant. The other thing you said, think of a tax accountant as more like a tax lawyer. I think that's the other thing you said rather than an accountant. Yeah, that's true because they basically make sure you toe the line with the law. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's interesting now. So a lot of the people that are in the business coaching space or the business consulting space do tend to sit in what I call the management accounting space. And that's where I'm, I'm always going to ask 21 questions about what sort of experience they have. It, it, it's not just credentials, it's actually how deep the experience is because if you're giving somebody business improvement advice and, and it's not sound commercially, then for me that's a red flag because that's mm. definitely going to impact your financial statements and, and it's going to impact your, your tax return too. Yeah. So as a, as a management accountant or a business consultant or a business coach, you need to understand the financial um, accounting role and also the tax accounting role to make sure you're advising correctly in terms of uh, performance improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I know how you feel there because I get upset when people give strategic and high-level technology advice and know nothing about technology. So I can definitely relate there or they have no business giving technology advice to big business or where it has serious implications so yeah yeah i think one of the one of the big issues we have at the moment is that people are really loose with terms and i don't know how we got there but i think you know the proliferation of information has definitely aided that mm. yeah, yeah. It, it sometimes it's i mean i guess you just have to be aware yeah <laughs> that's half the challenge isn't it i mean there's so many people who right. who come into business not knowing five percent of the things they really need to know, uh, and I count my you know I count myself in that category. There's so many things I've learned in twelve years of business that, and I still know what I I feel I still know practically nothing. You know, <laughs> I mean seriously, there's so much to learn. Um, oh, Ed, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So, it, but the simplicity of people thinking in their head just go and start a business and you know what's hard about it even though the numbers are completely stacked against them for success uh, it's fascinating that people don't do any research before they jump in to what they're about to do but it's no different to any of the marketing things that you know Brendan and I and yourself do is that people don't do any market research before they go into doing any you know creating products to, or you know setting up advertising campaigns or a website, they sort of do everything all backwards. So there, yeah. there must be a, a, a sequence of things that people should follow. So what if someone's thinking about going and starting a business, what are the, the couple of major things they need to get straight first before they even go and spend a dollar on marketing, advertising, websites? What would you suggest is the most important areas to get straight first? This is the end of part one. For part two of episode number 20 with Lisa Reed. you can find it on Business Marketing Show, episode number 20, part two. 
You've been listening to The Business Marketing Show. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com or on iTunes.